Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. Whoa! Good morning. Hi, wave. Wave to me, please, so I can at least... Oh, there you are. Hello? Oh, who's me? Oh, <laughs> hi, everybody. Good morning. Especially the couple walking in right there late. Um, it's one o'clock here in the east. We have uh, the, the stuff are finally showed up in the moving van, which is glorious. And you are missed on a Sunday morning, man. Let me tell you. Welcome to Vox. We're glad you're here. If you don't know, my name is Mike Erie, and uh, I'm a privileged member to be a part of the leadership team at Vox and just want to say good morning to you. Um, we, we're experimenting with some technology to be able to teach, uh, be part of the teaching team from Ohio to say hello. Today we're going to do some Q&A and I think you see a little Seth in the background. This is completely live. So Seth, you want to, you want to, uh, you, you want to say hi? Yeah. Oh, he has he has ketchup on his nose. So we just had some hot dogs. So Stephanie, say hello. Hi. Say good morning. Good morning. No, no, Daddy's got to do some stuff right now. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> this is not blood. Just to be clear, this is this is ketchup confirmed ketchup. All right, blow kisses. I got to get going. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's refusing. He is refusing to get down. Okay, so a couple of things. If you're new to our community, I have a big head, and it's magnified by the screen. Secondly, uh, Seth is protesting here. There's Mama in the background. We are unpacking boxes today. It's glorious. Um, if you're new to our community, a couple of things. Number one, welcome. We are community built on three convictions. The first conviction is that we want to be a safe place to talk about anything. We believe the church should be um, a lover and server of the world and not just a judger of it. And we want to invest heavily in the next generation. Thank you for kisses. And newsies. Yes, the newsies are playing in the background if you're a newsies fan. Uh, and the second thing I want you to know is, is uh, if you go to voxoc.com, you can find out a bit more about us. You can sign up for something called a new to Vox dinner. Um, and you can hear and read a bit of our story. Uh, we have a podcast the church kind of was birthed out of. And so, hello, people walking in. Um, so nice to see you. Hello. I see you waving. I see you waving. Should you guys wear hats in church? I'm not sure. Is that okay? I don't really know. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> So uh, before we get started today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Q&A. We got Ronnie teaching uh, a bit later in the service. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about Charlottesville and Dad, all that happened yesterday. Uh, Hold on, buddy. I got I to gotta do some talk. Seth first. Seth first. Okay. Um, if you were following social media or the news yesterday, we had a horrific day. We had some alt-right <sighs> Nazi types. Uh, protesting, and then and then we had this crazy Dad. car plow into a rally. I mean, it was just an awful, awful day. I'm getting kissed by Seth, which makes it a good day. But um, I I, uh, I felt like you know we at least needed uh, to remind ourselves of, of some stuff that we've talked about before because now is the time when the church really has to stand now up. Seth, Seth, 
Uh, honey, hold on. I got to talk right now, okay? <sighs> okay, Sethy. Hey, Mama, I need your help. No, no help. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love you. No, I adore you. No help. No help. <laughs> All right, so we've talked a bit about the difference between sin and iniquity. No, and no. Sethi, Sethi, honey, no. I love you. We got to go, honey. No. Yes, honey bear. No. We thought we were going to have technical difficulties no. today. We were having sethical difficulties no. today. Come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. No. I love you, buddy. No. I love you. Okay. No. Sorry about that, guys. This is all a very dear work in progress. And if you could hear Seth, um, he is unhappy right now um, by, by being taken away from this big, big screen. Uh, but I want to talk. I wanna, what's that? I want to talk about the difference between um, sin and iniquity. Sorry for the confusion. Um, I, uh, when it comes to the issues like race, one of the things that uh, I hear a lot of us say is why well, I'm not a racist, and so why should I kind of worry about it? And we believe there is a big difference between our individual sins and the cumulative effect those sins have on a culture. And so uh, sin, it, one of the words that's used in the Old Testament is just means an individual transgression. Iniquity is a word that's used, though, to talk about the corporate effect of a transgression. So sometimes Israel was punished when the king went wrong. So the sin was on the king, but the iniquity was the sin that now carried through the community. And one of the things that the church has to be willing to talk about isn't just the individual sin of racism, whether or not we're racist or we're not racist. Hello, Nate. Um, we need to talk about uh, the iniquity that's carried forward into our culture and the recognition that to be a person of color um, and have that experience in American society isn't as glorious as, um, as you know, sometimes we think it might be. So, um, you know, for us, what I wanted to do this morning was just to talk about it briefly, to pray. And so if you would join me in praying, I want to pray for Charlottesville. I want to pray for that whole situation. Um, we want to grieve with those who grieve. We want to mourn with those who are mourning today. So if you would um, close your eyes, uh, we want to pray together for, uh, for just a moment, all right? So Lord Jesus, um, we lift what happened uh, over the weekend to you, and um, we grieve uh, for those who were hurt, for those who were injured, for the scenes, the graphic scenes that were shown to people, um, uh, you know, giving expression to such hatred and racism and violence. And, um, and Lord Jesus, we desperately, we desperately want to be able, God, to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And so um, we pray that your church across the country would not only stand up um, and um, pronounce the grace and the truth that every single human person is made in the image of God and to, a, to, 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 Proclaim one race superior to another is, is sin. It's an affront to our creator. Um, but God, we, we pray that we would do that in a way that invites the redemption of those who hold such hatred in their hearts. And so I pray uh, for those who are participating in the rally in the name of Jesus, that you would melt their hearts with your fierce love and that you would invite them into repentance. Uh, but more than anything, Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be people that would proclaim your beauty 
and your majesty and your glory and your love. And uh, help us, God, to be people who see color, absolutely, but who uh, celebrate it, enjoy it, um, recognize that every tongue and tribe and nation uh, will be represented uh, at the great heavenly banquet. And uh, we can practice that now. And so to that end, God, we ask your blessing in the name of our Christ. Amen. Thank you, Voxies. A um, couple of couple of questions we got coming in, and then uh, and then uh, I'll be watching on Facebook. A uh, couple of things. First question. Go ahead, Bob. Fire up. Question number one. Uh, I find it tough to take any comfort or hope from the Bible anymore. After last year, being introduced to the idea that heaven isn't necessarily uh, a place of eternal conscious presence with God and what seems to be an ever-shifting ways to interpret the text as a whole or in parts. I'm not sure what the point is. Next slide. I feel like asking God for anything, even just a moment of peace or assurance of his existence, has about the same return as a wishing well. Even the consider the lilies verse about um, provision seems a bit trite given how many people suffer and die regardless of their faith. Most of life's circumstance and favor seems more like a random chance than a divine plan of a loving Father God. What am I missing? Oh, my goodness. First of all, thank you so very much for, for being honest and articulating that. I think a lot of us sort of go through seasons where things feel this way. A couple of thoughts. Number one, heaven certainly is eternal conscious awareness of God in his presence. Um, it just happens to be on earth instead of in this kind of ethereal place called heaven where we have wings and walk on streets of gold. Um, the biblical picture is that God is, dwells with his people forever on a renewed earth. And so there is eternal conscious presence of God. As Paul says, we will see fully and not just dimly. And so, um, so I, I, I don't know that if I, if I've given that impression, I would certainly apologize because, uh, eternal conscious awareness of God and his presence, um, will be the most beautiful part of the new earth. Um, so that shouldn't, I, to me, that enhances hope that doesn't take away hope. Um, the second thing I would, I would just want to say, and, and there's no way to answer this without, you know, taking shortcuts and using some cliches, but. For me, my trust ultimately isn't in the Bible to provide hope and comfort. My trust is actually in what the Bible and who the Bible points to. And um, and so, yeah, you take the consider the lilies verse. Uh, we did a whole podcast on that verse because it's it's been used to really shame people for feeling um, um, anxious and worried. And, and granted, we could be a lot more peaceful, no question about it. But uh, what what Jesus isn't promising there is that he's going to take care of us because he even says the lilies are uh, thrown into the fire the next day. What he's promising there uh, is that there is there is um, in life with him a way to be as carefree as the lilies and the birds. And so that way is what uh, since you're asking, how do we become as carefree? That is a huge question. And I feel like that would be a good podcast. But just one thought comes to mind immediately. And it's simply this. Um, my, my faith is centered on Jesus. When I get lost in the weeds of Christianity, when I get lost in the hopelessness, when I get lost in the despair of the world, I have to recenter myself on this beautiful Jesus. And so, um, one of the things I always encourage people to do is to just sit and immerse yourself in one of the gospels. Take the gospel of John, for instance, you're welcome, Matt. Um, take the gospel of John, 
that is a beautiful, beautiful gospel to marinate in, um, particularly when you're feeling hopeless. And so um, I, those are a couple of thoughts. If you want to text a follow up to that, I'd love to uh, I'd love to answer it. Next question, just for sake of time. I'm so sorry. Um, what does Vox mean and stand for? So Vox is a Latin word uh, that just simply means voice. And uh, we believe Jesus is God's voice into uh, the world today. And so we are absolutely committed to this Jesus. And, and that's who we stand for. We don't stand for Christianity. We don't stand for the church. We don't stand for the brutal things that Christians have done and are doing. Um, we stand for Jesus and his beauty. And we want to be a place built around a meal that Jesus gave us in order to remember him, to participate with him, and to anticipate um, his return. And so for us, Vox is centered on the Eucharist, which we'll be celebrating in a, in, uh, a little bit. Um, but but again, um, it's the person and the majesty of Jesus that we're about and stand for more than any other thing. Next question. Great question, by the way. Thank you. Does the requirement to be saved rely solely, in all caps, on the belief in God and Jesus slash Jesus and the acceptance that Christ is the only way to the Father? Or is there a possibility that God looks at a person's heart in determining their eternal life? Um, hold that question up, Bob, for a second, because I, I think that's a I think that's a great question. First of all, um, we did a we did a podcast. Asked if you found our archives in the Vox podcast, we did a podcast on what about those who have never heard of Jesus, and uh, or maybe have been given a very polluted image of Jesus. And I think God, I think there's enough hinting that God looks at a person's heart and it's in determining eternal life um, for people who have had no exposure to Jesus or didn't know it was Jesus or. Um, or, or, you know, they've got a polluted uh, picture of Jesus. So, so that would be one thing. For those of us who've heard of Jesus, uh, it depends what you mean by belief. Does the requirement to be saved rely solely on the belief in God? No, it doesn't re rely solely on the belief. It re requires, or to be saved, it, it, re it relies solely on the trust, the conviction, the persuasion, the, the faith and God and Jesus, not just that he's the only way to the Father, but that he is simply who he said he was. And so for those of us who've been presented um, this Jesus, I don't think there's another way in terms of just being naturally good or being moral or ascribing to a certain philosophy. Um, you know, when, when Jesus talks about this, he's pretty clear that he is not just a way to God, but he is what God looks like in human flesh. And so I don't think there's any other name given under under heaven by which people can be saved. But I think it is true that there are people who have never heard of this name or experienced this name or have got a polluted image of that name. And I think I think there is enough in Scripture that kind of opens the door to God looking at a person's heart, no question about it. But I also want to just say in closing, God always is looking at your heart. He doesn't—if by belief you just mean, yeah, yeah, I believe it in my head— I mean, that's not what biblical belief is. So he's always looking at your heart to determine, you know, when, when he, Jesus critiques the Pharisees, he says, people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So in that sense, he's always, he's always looking and aware of a person's heart, whether or not what they're singing or what they're saying or what they think they believe is actually true. Great question. The podcast will give a lot more detail to it. Sorry, I can't do it justice. These are so good. Next question. I try to give all my worries and control to God, but I find it really hard. Me too. 
Uh, I pray every night for him to take my worries and allow me to be at peace and to be free and to have him in control and that I will follow his path, etc. But I struggle daily with actually following through on that. What can I do to improve? All right, yeah, hold that question up uh, for a second. Let's marinate on this. Um, I am an expert worrier. Uh, as many of you know, anxiety is one of the issues I, I wrestle with, and uh, so it's control. And so I can very much relate with, I try to give all my worries and control to God, but I find it hard. Amen to that, my brother or sister. Um, but one of the things I've learned uh, in the struggle is the goal for, for me and what I pray for isn't the removal of anxiety. Because the more I pray for the removal of anxiety uh, or the removal of worry, um, the more I end up focusing on anxiety and worry. And so what I've learned to pray for is uh, I've learned to pray for me to be present. I've learned to pray for me to enjoy um, uh, his presence. I've learned to pray that I would be fully present wherever he has me. And, and I've learned that um, as I pray for other things, uh, the anxiety lessens. But if I pray for the removal of anxiety and worry, I'm just kind of feeding it because I'm worried about whether or not he'll answer that prayer. And so anyway, that's how my psychotic mind works. Um, I don't think... I don't think you need to walk around wondering what you can do to improve because I, I don't anxiety seems like one of those things that the more you worry about it, the worse it gets. And so the truly non-anxious person is the person who doesn't care if they're anxious or not uh, because they know things will be OK either way. And so um, I actually want to think a little bit on this question about what you can do to improve, because I'm tempted to say ah, trying to improve is part of the problem. Um, but. I also would say, in terms of like the pastor answer, I would also say, hey, it seems like um, to have God be in control, I follow his path, uh, it seems like perhaps you're operating out of a view of faith that's more contractual and not covenantal. And we talk a lot about that on the podcast, and so I can't get into it now because I am running out of time. But I encourage you to look at some of the Faith and Doubt podcasts we've done to check those out. Uh, my brothers and sisters, uh, I'm so sorry this was a little messy this morning, but man, totally worth it for, for me to be able to see you. Um, I am so blessed um, knowing that we're still going and knowing that people are still supporting and working and serving and, and giving and blessing. And so thank you. We, we are so honored um, to be a part of something so much bigger than, than just a personality being present. And so I uh, just want to say it is so it's such an honor to be able to, to join and to watch. And it is such an honor to, uh, to still be a part of the community. So, uh, okay. All right. So what we want to do is we want to, uh, we want to invite Izzy to come out and uh, we're going to do a bit of singing together. Uh, although you will not be hearing me over the loudspeakers, uh, thankfully, you will, you will be hearing Izzy. Um, and uh, when, it, when it comes to our singing, we never want to view this as wasted time, right? This is, this is where we're not only prepared, but we're refreshed. Our imaginations, our lips, our minds, the images, the lyrics, um, these are things that renew us and refresh us. And so uh, I want to pray for us briefly, and then Izzy will take it away. Lord God, we gather to bless you, we gather to acknowledge your goodness and your grace. We gather to eat at your table and to be reminded, God, of, the, of the, the grace and truth and beauty of the Lord Jesus. 
And so I pray right now that you would um, fill us with your spirit. You would walk with us in the midst of um, in the midst of our trials and our struggles. And God, that you would speak a word to us this morning, that you would um, uh, strengthen us for the, for the journey and the battle. And so to that end, we open ourselves up to you now in worship. Amen and amen. Bless you, my brothers and sisters. Thank you, guys. <laughs> hey, Michael, can you get me on? There we go. Hey, good morning, everybody. How was that with Mike? Was that fun? <laughs> um, yeah, so that was, that was our official first time of him being live with us. Um, it'll actually even get better over the next few weeks. We're actually going to put a camera up here so he'll be able to see you guys from the front. He was actually uh, seeing you guys kind of from uh, the back. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was super fun. And, hey, Seth was there, of course, right? <laughs> it's the best part. It's my favorite part. Um, I just want to come out here with Ronnie real quick uh, just to give you guys just a little bit of information um, on a couple things uh, before we uh, finish up the day here. Um, for one, yeah, if you're new, and uh, you know, definitely check out voxoc.com. There's a little news section there um, where you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, and we'd love to hear from you and, and know uh, who you are. Um, secondly, when, um, when uh, Ronnie's done teaching, uh, we'll be turning our attention towards uh, communion and Eucharist, as we do every single week. Uh, so just a few things about that. Uh, we do have a gluten-free section um, over there at that table over there. Um, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus for gluten-free. That's right. Uh, <laughs> down front and over here on the, uh, the back door here, we actually uh, have these prayer walls for you guys. And what those look like is uh, it's just a little bit of paper uh, that you guys can write down prayers and actually place them in there. And we have a prayer team that's praying for you guys 24-7. So um, each week we actually collect those prayers and we hand them to our prayer team. And um, they are um, praying through all of that stuff. Um, I could tell you that from the time we introduced those, those gave us such a better snapshot of who you guys are and what's actually going on here. So um, not only is that our way to reflect, but it's our way to, to really understand what God is doing in this room and um, what we can be doing, uh, in addition to Q&A as well. So you'll see the Q&A number with Ronnie's slides, you know, submit questions, and we'll be looking forward to that. And then um, lastly, uh, you know, we just want to acknowledge that. Um, we understand that this is a transitional time and things are a little bit different here and um, we're having some fun with technology, but yeah, it, it was a little bit jarring that after only being a year, we, we went through such a big change. Uh, we spent um, a lot of time in the past six months developing a community pastor team for you guys. Uh, it's about 15 people deep and um, they've been uh, praying for the community, hospital visits, uh, spending time with many of you that have looked for care and counseling, and we just want to let you know that that is definitely still available as we go through this. So you can email either care at voxo C.com. Um, in addition, if you see anyone in the orange lanyards um, out in the lobby, those are actually our community pastors, so you can approach them directly and or ask any of us in a black t-shirt uh, if you're looking for someone to talk to um, about this or obviously anything else um, that's going on, and we would love to hear it. And um, that's about it. So uh, this is Ronnie, one of the newest members of our all-new member teaching team. <laughs> and I'm going to let him take him away. All right. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, buddy. See you. Isn't Andy's hair luscious? It's just, just gorgeous. Good morning, Voxers. How are you? Good. Good to see you, as uh, Mike might say, my brothers and sisters. It's good to be here with you guys. Uh, I'm excited to share with you. Uh, we'll be in Galatians chapter 6. If you um, have a Bible, if you'd like to bring a Bible or whatever, you can go ahead and go to Galatians chapter 6. Uh, we'll just jump right in, because uh, we got a lot to get through here, uh, and i got a short amount of time. So, 
Uh, Galatians chapter 6, this is an epistle, this is a letter uh, that Paul has written to a church. Now, the way these work is that they would correspond. The church would write sort of, you know, kind of the Q&A thing that you have here. What's going on in the church? What's happening? Paul would listen, and then he would write, and they would respond to some of the issues that were happening in the Galatians church. And so we pick up in uh, the last chapter of Galatians. Now, uh, I'm going to be here next week, so I'll be doing a two-part, because there's a, this is a 10-verse discourse that Paul is actually using to respond to some issues that are happening within the church. And so this first one, the first five verses, is just beautiful in what Paul is actually um, trying to convey to this church. And I think as you go along with me in this journey, you'll realize that what he's saying um, almost a thousand, couple thousand years ago is actually more relevant today than it ever has been. Uh, so let's just read together. It says, My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Now, let me just give you a little framework uh, of what's happening here. So the Galatians epistle, the letter, the framework behind it is that Paul is really trying to get to the heart of the issue, which is freedom. You see, the church has swayed a little bit in, in, their, in their pursuit of the gospel of freedom, and they've, they've sort of exchanged it for human ability uh, and in law-keeping. In fact, there's a group pressuring the church known as Judaizers. These were uh, Jewish people who were trying to convert Gentiles or non-Jewish people uh, to return to the old ways of doing things, namely through circumcision. Now, could you imagine that? Welcome to the family of faith. Uh, now we're going to circumcise you. You're like, what? No, I don't think so. I'm out, right? So Paul is responding to what's happening. Now, the biggest concern for Paul wasn't necessarily the circumcision piece. It was more that they were abandoning the gospel of freedom and grace for that of law. They were trying to go back to the way things were, the broken system, and, and Paul is urging them, this is, this is not the way the, the, the gospel was presented to you. And so he's trying to urge them out of that because what would happen is that this law became burdensome to the people. It became these burdens of weight that was put on them, and so it was harder for them to carry. Now, none of us would understand that, right, in a church setting, what it feels like to have burdens of law put back on your shoulders. And Paul was telling them, man, you've, you've gone away from the gospel of freedom and grace that I've given you. And so I've titled this message, Burdens and Loads. And as we jump into it, I have a question for you. Uh, anyone, anyone travel, travel a lot? Anyone travel for business, get on planes? Anyone like to travel, right? Anyone likes to travel? Okay, does anyone like airlines, Dealing with airlines, right? Not, not as many hands up, right? Uh, some crazy stuff happening lately, right? With uh, airline stuff happening. It's just crazy. People getting dragged off of airplanes, all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, I, I personally, I get like anxiety when I go through airports, the, the TSA check thing. Um, I, it's just like having to take everything off and then get through that whole thing and then people behind you mad and you got to keep going, right? It's just the, the first part of it. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me a few years ago, this was after September 11th had happened, uh, he was doing some traveling, and i never forget the story he told me. He said, uh, there was a, a, a rule that when you flew out of Washington, D.C., there was a, an airport, when you fly out of Washington, D.C., they had this rule that nobody could get out of their seat or move until they had cleared the airspace over the White House. 
Well, he said that, you know, like this was a very new thing and not a lot of people knew it. And so he's getting on the plane and he's sitting in the plane and there's this very young, uh, young gentleman who's sitting uh, across from him in the chair. And he could see that he was being very fidgety and like he was having a hard time and it looked like he had to, you know, use the restroom and, you know, you're not allowed to. And so he, they're sitting there and the plane's taking forever to taxi and he's just watching this guy get more and more antsy, more and more like, I can't hold it anymore. It's got, it's like, clearly this guy has a problem. And so he just finally, as they start to take off, he finally has it. He can't handle it anymore. He undoes his, his, his seatbelt and he runs to the bathroom. Like, you know, he just said, literally holding everything up, just trying to get to the bathroom. And he said he gets to the bathroom and locks the door. And all of a sudden, from the front of the airplane is a flight attendant. And she comes running down the aisle screaming, FAA regulations require you not to, and just screaming at the top of her lungs, FAA regulations. She makes her way to the back where the bathroom is, and she's banging on the door, FAA regulations, you got to be, and everybody in the plane is like freaked out, like what is happening, you know? And, And as he's telling me this story, I'm like, that's insane. That is like, that's an insane step, right, uh, in what's happening there. But, you know, sometimes I feel like Christians and, and, and the church sounds like spiritual flight attendants sometimes, <laughs> right? FAA regulations, you're in sin, that's wrong. And it's like we sound like, like what is going on? Like the overreaction to something, right? And, and we see this, what's happening clearly in this church is that people were, were just in, enraged by what they were seeing, and they were overreacting and over-responding to certain situations, screaming, you broke the rules. You need to go back to the way old things were. And now here's the crazy part. In Christian communities, oh, man, I, I love being a part of one, but man, sometimes we're the, we're the ones who shoot our wounded, right? I mean, we do such a good job of that. Someone's hurt and broken, and we just shoot them when they're down. It's like, what is going on? What's happening, Right? You hear gossip in the church, right? Something happens and gossip begins to move. Not in this church, obviously, right? But it happens, right? Judgmentalism. Let me just tell you, this is, for me, I I feel like this is my spiritual gift, judgmentalism, right? Like, the Bible missed it in terms of spiritual gifting because mine is judgmentalism. I'm an expert judger. I'm really good at sitting back and watching everybody else's faults, but not my own. And, And I just can, like, can you believe that? How could somebody ever, could you, how could you? Like, that's, that's, that's what I do, and, so, and this is what's happening in the church, is that there's, there's something happening. People are screaming at the top of their lungs, overreacting to things, and Paul is going, hey, remember, remember why we started this. Remember the gospel message of freedom, and so he points this out. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, so somebody has, has sinned, someone has fallen, He says, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Apparently, there was happening in this church, right? See how relevant it is 2,000 years ago? Same issues, same stuff. Now, interesting because the framework for Galatians was freedom. Remember I told you that, that the letter was written to remind them of the freedom, the grace that was given them through the gospel. And so he has to remind them again, hey, listen, if something happens, you should restore. Now, it's interesting because uh, in the previous chapters, Paul, in, verse, in chapter 5, which if you have time, maybe today, go back and read chapter 5, he talks about two ways of living. And you'll read this throughout some of the letters. is this life in the flesh and life in the spirit. 
The first one, the life in the flesh, is really just living in our normal human brokenness. It's what we feel normally, right? It's just this existential, like we know some things are wrong, we shouldn't do some things are wrong, we have this morality in us. It's just, this is this, this normal brokenness that we all live in. And then he says there's also this, this life in the spirit, which is this life that is immersed in the beauty and in the life of Jesus. That someone who's immersed themselves in Jesus' life is living in the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, he gives some markers of what it looks like to have a life lived in the Spirit. And those markers are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness faithfulness, these markers of a person whose life is immersed in the Spirit. And so it's a good indicator. When we hear someone screaming, you broke the rules, we've probably missed the life in the Spirit. When we sense judgmentalism or gossip in our own life, we've probably missed the life in the Spirit. Now, it's not to say that we'll live our entire lives in the spirit or our entire lives in the flesh. This is sort of the wrestling of what it means to be human, right? To follow in Jesus is that there's this flesh and spirit that's wrestling inside of us. And Paul, uh, in this discourse, goes into that. But, but a life immersed in Jesus understands love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. These aren't virtues to try to achieve. You couldn't try to be these things. No, no, no. Jesus tells us that these things naturally embody the kind of person who follows my ways. That you naturally become the kind of person who does these things. A spiritual person usually has a spiritual gentleness in matters. Call it a spiritual or seasoned maturity. I think about moments when I was a young pastor when I first started ministry and the way that I dealt with people. Oh, gosh. How God did not just wipe me off the face of the planet for the things that I judged people on, the harshness with which, uh, oh, you know, I would just want to pull out the Bible and show you where you messed up and this is how it is. Like, I just, I cringe now when I think of the damage that I've created in people because of that, right? And so I think what Paul is saying in this letter is that, hey, not everybody should be the one to restore. People with a spiritual maturity, a sense who've lived through some things, People who may have experienced brokenness and pain in their own life. Someone who's felt hurt. Those are the people who've walked in Jesus' footsteps for a time should be the ones to restore, which is the point of this, right? Paul is saying that if somebody has fallen, the goal is always restoration. You who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. This idea of restoration uh, is an interesting one that Paul uses. It's uh, this idea of, of a fisherman's nets. So, so fishing was a, a, a trade, right? And, and, it, and you had these fishing nets, and they're expensive. And so if there's a hole in a fishing net, obviously that has implications to your, your income and your revenue, and so you just couldn't go buy a new fishing net. So you had to mend your fishing nets. And these are you know, woven uh, strings all together. And so you could just imagine, you try to untie a knot in your kid's shoe, right? It takes you like 30 minutes. Uh, imagine a hole in a fishing net that's all woven together. And the process of mending a fishing net took patience and perseverance and dedication. 
And so when it comes to restoring or restoration, Paul is saying that when we restore people who have fallen or who have been hurt, who have been broken, it's always with patience and perseverance and dedication and a spirit of gentleness and kindness. See, this is where the church, we need to take time with restoration, time with healing and mending people's hearts and their lives. This is why judgment doesn't help. Pointing out the rules and the brokenness of what somebody has done, their actions does little to help restore and mend the brokenness in their life. Paul urges them, this should be done by somebody who's seasoned spiritually. And maybe that's not us. That's okay. We should look for those people. Look for those people around us so that we could say, hey, this would be somebody that you could, you could do this. But what about the rest of us? Paul addresses the rest of everyone else. I love this. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. This is a command for everybody. Bear one another's burdens. Now, he's going to contrast this with another one. We'll get into that. He says, bear one another's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, he uses law of Christ very intentionally, and we'll get into that. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work, and when that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Now, it's interesting because he says, bear one another's burdens and then everybody must carry their own loads. These two words, there's a contrast here. The word load here makes no reference to a weight or something. It doesn't, it doesn't have a, this, it hasn't had this connotation of holding something with weight. It, it's essentially, everybody has a cross to bear. Everybody has a life to live and we all have to carry our own loads. I'll give you an example. This last week for me, it was crazy. I mean, it was just the craziest week. You ever have one of these weeks where you have so many things to do that you wish you could just like, go to sleep, pull the covers over your head, and then wake up on Monday, and it would all just be taken care of, right? Like, that's how I felt. And, I, and when I stress out like that, I feel like I, I take it out on everything around me. And so my wife, God bless her, she's so great. Uh, and she just, you know, wanted to help serve me in this, this last week because I had so many things going on. And it's like, she came to me and she said, is there anything I can do? And it's like, no, there, there really isn't because this is my cross to bear. This is my load. This is my life. I'm in school, I've got work, I've got church plant, I've got, I've got all these things. I can't expect anyone to come and carry this. This is what I alone have to carry. And so Paul's making a distinction that in life, we all have to carry our own load. And then he says, so bear one another's burden. So what's the difference? The idea here is a reference to an excessive heaviness or a weightiness. Something beyond the normal load that you're supposed to carry. When something comes into your life that is beyond that, it's burdensome. That's what Paul is talking about. Bear one another's heaviness, weightiness. I think of this illustration. When I come home from the office, I have my bag. And whenever I pull up in the driveway, my son, he loves to come help me carry things into the house. And he always wants to carry my bag. It's the cutest thing because I think he wants to be like dad, you know. And so I always take my bag off and I like let him hold it. Now it's obviously too heavy for him. He's only four years old. He can't hold it. But he thinks he's holding it because he puts his hand on the handle. And then I put my hand on the handle as well. And we walk together sort of carrying the load, right? And he thinks he's carrying it, but I'm actually with him. That's what it looks like to bear one another's burdens. You see, to bear a burden means to come alongside someone, to actually be shoulder to shoulder with them, to walk and carry the weight. Now, sin was obviously one of the things that Paul was addressing here, right? And, you talk, and, and Mike was talking about that earlier, the difference between sin and iniquity, that there's a sin that somebody has in their life 
and it's heavy, and it's weighty, and it's beyond what they were ever meant to carry. And it says, we should bear that burden. Walk with people in their brokenness, in their addiction, in their broken marriages, in their families. We come alongside them and bear that burden. But here's what I love. Because Paul moves beyond just sin. Okay, you ready for this? Paul moves beyond just sin. Because a burden is not just sin. There's also the iniquity. So as a community of faith, the burden of oppression and racism is something that we all stand together and carry. No one person should have to bear the weight of that. Gender equality. We should come alongside those people who are suffering under the weight of that to carry it with them. Those who have been marginalized and pushed aside in society is a weightiness, a burden that is too heavy. And Paul says those are the people that we come alongside shoulder to shoulder and we bear the weight with them. And it's in this place, it's in the bearing of the burden of each other that the church really gets to shine. Because we get to put on the character of Christ. We get to be Jesus and feel the weightiness of pain and suffering and hurt with other people. Now, now watch what Paul does here. Because remember I told you his words were key. A whole church dealing with rules and law. And then Paul says this, and in this way, by bearing one another's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what is the law of Christ? Well, if you go back to Galatians, it says this, Galatians 5.14, I don't think you guys have this verse. The whole law can be summed up in this one command. You ready for this? You ready for this? Watch what Paul does. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, Paul, the dagger in the heart. You want to hold the law up and say, this is the law, you broke the rules. Paul says the only law you need to fulfill is the law of Christ, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, oh. could you imagine what a community would look like if we just treated each other like we wanted to be treated? To love our neighbor as ourself. To come alongside, shoulder to shoulder. I mean, you just think about the way we handle issues. The way we want to restore. If, if we treated and restored people the way that we wanted to be restored, do you think that might look different? Ugh. If we came alongside somebody the way that we would want someone to come alongside us, don't you think that might look different? The law of Christ. Here's the gist as we kind of close and wrap up this, this discourse in these five verses. Here's the gist of what I think Paul is saying. Get off your moral high horse and serve those who are broken around you. I think that's the gist of it. It says, for if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work, then that work rather than their neighbor's work will become cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. In other words, concern yourself and worry yourself with your own life and your own work. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Realize 
that in our life, we're all broken. We're all messy people in process, trying to figure this thing out. Bear one another's burdens connects us to each other. See, the beauty of what Paul is saying is, look, all we have is each other. All we have is each other. And when we face each other, instead of, you know, distancing ourselves and judgmentalism and gossip and how could you, but when we actually come alongside and look another human, in the, human being in the eye and go, can I carry this weight with you? It actually connects us in a very human way. And there, in the midst of that human connection, is where we find the heart of Jesus, which is compassion and love and care. To bear the burden, to walk alongside those who are suffering, who've been oppressed, who've been marginalized, who've been pushed aside, who've been shoved down. To feel the weightiness of that is the beauty of fulfilling the law of Christ. To love your neighbor as yourself. Church, can we be that? Can we be that? Can we look around and go, how would I want to be treated? How would I want someone to come alongside me in this situation? Not rush to judgment, but look back and go, man, I understand. I'm broken. I'm messy too. I've made mistakes and I've had failures in my life. How can I just be there with you? Paul urges us to bear one another's burdens. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we're grateful. We're grateful that your law is summed up in loving you and loving each other. And while at times we get that wrong and we fail and we come up short, you just seem to fill in the gaps. You do. And we're grateful. We're grateful that your steadfast love and grace goes beyond our inabilities. You make up any lack we might be having. And you call us to something deeper and something greater. So we pray that as we come from this place, as we leave this gathering, that we'd go out and we'd begin to see our neighbor as ourself. That we would look around, even in this room, and see each other as ourself. If there are broken relationships, maybe there's pain and anguish in relationships in this room, maybe that they're outside of this room, God, I pray that in those moments we'll still ourselves and remind ourselves that we're all in process. We all need a little bit of grace. We all need each other to come alongside. So we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to sing some songs, and while we do that, we're going to um, take communion, which is beautiful because to take communion is to commune together. This idea of togetherness, that we get to stand shoulder to shoulder and partake in the beauty uh, of who Jesus is, that he died for us. And so, uh, again, there's gluten-free communion over there. There's communion around the table. Uh, there's also some um, prayer scrolls up here, and I think there'll be some pastors around who would love to pray with you as well. And so this time now is yours to respond uh, as you feel led. Uh.
Vox community, always a blessing to be with you. Thank you for being so welcoming as a guest teacher to be here to share with you guys. It's always grateful. I'll be back next week for part two of Galatians 6, uh, reaping and sowing. So cliffhanger next week. Uh, Before you go, let me just pray a blessing over you if I could. Uh, God, would you go with your people? Would you give them strength and courage to stand shoulder to shoulder and love their neighbor as themselves? Help us to walk in your grace, your freedom, your mercy and compassion and share that to those we come into contact with every day. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in God's grace. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.